Chapter Seven of Mount Royal, Volume One by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, Cupid and Psyche. In all the bright June weather, Christabel had been too busy and too happy to remember her caprice about Cupid and Psyche but just after the henley week which to some thousands and to these two lovers had been as a dream of bliss a magical mixture of sunlight and balmy airs and flowery meads fine gowns and fine luncheons nigger singers stone-breaking athletes gypsy sorceresses eager to read high fortunes on any hand for half a crown rowing men racing men artists actors poets critics swells just after the wild excitement of that watery saturnalia mr hamley had occasion to go to the north of scotland to see an ancient kinswoman of his father an eccentric maiden aunt who had stood for him by proxy at the baptismal font and at the same time announced her intention of leaving him her comfortable fortune together with all those snuffed mulls quaves knives and forks spoons and other curiosities of caledonia which had been in the family for centuries provided always that he grew up with a high opinion of mary stuart and religiously believed the casket letters to be the vile forgeries of george buchanan the old lady who was a kindly soul with a broad scotch tongue had an inconvenient habit of sending for her nephew at odd times and seasons when she imagined herself on the point of death and he was too kind to turn a deaf ear to this oft-repeated cry of wolf lest after making light of her summons he should hear that the real wolf had come and devoured the harmless affectionate old lady so now just when london life was at its gayest and brightest when the moonlit city after midnight looked like fairyland and the thames embankment with its long chain of glittering lamps gleaming golden above the sapphire river was a scene to dream about mr hamley had to order his portmanteau and a hansom and drive from the albany to one of the great railway stations in the euston road and to curl himself up in his corner of the limited mail scarcely to budge till he was landed at inverness it was hard to leave christabel though it were only for a week he swore to her that his absence should not outlast a week unless the grisly wolf called death did indeed claim his victim i know i shall find the dear old soul up and hardy he said lightly devouring scotch collops or haggis or cockaliki or something equally loathsome and offering me some of that extraordinary soup which he always talks of in the plural do have a few more broth angus they're very good the day but she is a sweet old woman despite her barbarities and one of the happiest days of my life will be that on which i take you to see her and if if she is not very ill you will come back soon won't you angus pleaded christabel as soon as ever i can tear myself away from the collops and the few broth if i find the dear old impostor in rude health as i quite expect i will hob and nob with her over one glass of toddy sleep one night under her roof and then across the border as fast as the express will carry me so they parted and angus had scarcely left bolton row an hour when major bree came in and by some random flight of fancy christabel remembered cupid and psyche the three ladies had just come upstairs after dinner mrs tregonell was enjoying forty winks in a low capacious chair near an open window in the first drawing-room softly lit by shaded carcel lamps scented with tea-roses and stephanotis christabel and jessie were in the tiny third room where there was only the faint light of a pair of wax candles on the mantelpiece here the major found them when he came creeping in from the front room where he had refrained from disturbing mrs tregonell auntie's asleep said christabel we must talk in subdued murmurs she looked sadly tired after mrs dulcimer's garden party i ought not to have come so early 
apologized the major yes you ought we are very glad to have you it is dreadfully dull without angus what you begin to miss him already already echoed christabel i missed him before the sound of his cab-wheels was out of the street i have been missing him ever since poor little bell and he is not halfway to scotland yet she sighed how long and slow the hours will be you must do all you can to amuse me i shall want distractions dissipation even if we were at home i should go and wander up by willow park and talk to the gulls here there is nothing to do another stupid garden party at twickenham to-morrow exactly opposite the one day at richmond the only variety being that we shall be on the north bank of the river instead of the south bank a prosy dinner in regent's park the day after let me see said christabel suddenly animated we are quite free for to-morrow evening we can go and see cupid and psyche and i can tell angus all about it when he comes back please get us a nice sea-able box like a dear obliging uncle oliver as you are of course i am obliging groaned the major but the most obliging person that ever was can't perform impossibilities if you want a box at the kaleidoscope you must engage one for to-morrow month or to-morrow six weeks it is a mere bandbox of a theatre and everybody in london wants to see this farrago of nonsense illustrated by pretty women you have seen it i suppose yes i dropped in one night with an old naval friend who had taken a stall for his wife which she was not able to occupy major brie you are a very selfish person said christabel straightening her slim waist and drawing herself up with mock dignity you have seen this play yourself and you are artful enough to tell us it is not worth seeing just to save yourself the trouble of hunting for a box uncle oliver that is not chivalry i used to think you were a chivalrous person is there anything improper in the play asked jessie striking with her usual bluntness never afraid to put her thoughts into speech is that your reason for not wishing christabel to see it no the piece is perfectly correct stammered the major there is not a word then i think bell's whim ought to be indulged said jessie especially as mr hamley's absence makes her feel out of spirits the major murmured something vague about the difficulty of getting places with less than six weeks notice whereupon christabel told him with a dignified air that he need not trouble himself any further but a young lady who has plenty of money and who has been accustomed while dutiful and obedient to her elders to have her own way in all essentials is not so easily satisfied as the guileless major supposed as soon as the west end shops were open next morning before the jewellers had set out their dazzling wares those diamond parures and revers which are always inviting the casual lounger to step in and buy them those goodly chased claret jugs and queen anne tea-kettles and mighty venison dishes which seem to say this is an age of luxury and we are indispensable to a gentleman's table before those still more attractive shops which deal in hundred guinea dressing-cases jasper inkstands or molu paperweights lapis lazuli blotting-books and coral powder boxes had laid themselves out for the tempter's work miss courtenay and miss bridgman in their neat morning attire were tripping from library to library in a quest of a box at the kaleidoscope for that very evening they found what they wanted in bond street lady somebody had sent back her box by a footman just ten minutes ago on account of lord somebody's attack of gout the librarian could have sold it were it fifty boxes and at a fabulous price 
but he virtuously accepted four guineas which gave him a premium of only one guinea for his trouble and christabel went home rejoicing it will be such fun to show the major that we are cleverer than he she said to jessie miss bridgeman was thoughtful and made no reply to this remark she was pondering the major's conduct in this small matter and it seemed to her that he must have some hidden reason for wishing christabel not to see cupid and psyche that he who had so faithfully waited upon all their fancies taking infinite trouble to give them pleasure could in this matter be so disobliging or indifferent seemed hardly possible there must be a reason and yet what reason could there be to taboo a piece which the major distinctly declared to be correct and which all the fashionable world went to see perhaps there is something wrong with the drainage of the theatre jessie thought speculating vaguely a suspicion of typhoid fever which the major had shrunk from mentioning out of respect for feminine nerves did you ever tell mr hamley you wanted to see cupid and psyche asked miss bridgeman at last sorely exercised in spirit fearful lest christabel was incurring some kind of peril by her persistence yes i told him but it was at a time when we had a good many engagements and i think he forgot all about it hardly like angus was it to forget one's wishes when he is generally so eager to anticipate them a strange coincidence thought jessie mr hamley and the major had been unanimous in their neglect of this particular fancy of christabel's at luncheon miss courtenay told her aunt the whole story how major brie had been most disobliging and how she had circumvented him and my revenge will be to make him sit out cupid and psyche for the second time she said lightly for he must be our escort you will go of course dearest to please me my pet you know how the heat of a theatre always exhausts me pleaded mrs tregonell whose health long delicate had been considerably damaged by her duties as chaperone when you are going anywhere with angus i like to be seen with you but to-night with the major and jessie i shall not be wanted i can enjoy an evening's rest but do you enjoy that long blank evening auntie asked christabel looking anxiously at her aunt's somewhat careworn face people who have one solitary care make so much of it nurse and fondle it as if it were an only child once or twice when we have let you have your own way and stay at home you have looked so pale and melancholy when we came back as if you had been brooding upon sad thoughts all the evening sad thoughts will come bell they ought not to come to you auntie what cause have you for sadness i have a dear son far away bell don't you think that is cause enough a son who enjoys the wild sports of the west ever so much better than he enjoys his home but who will settle down by and by into a model country squire i doubt that christabel i don't think he will ever settle down now there was an emphasis an almost angry emphasis upon the last word which told christabel only too plainly what her aunt meant she could guess what disappointment it was that her aunt sighed over in the long lonely evenings and albeit the latent resentfulness in mrs tregonell's mind was an injustice her niece could not help being sorry for her yes dearest he will he will she said resolutely he will have his fill of shooting bisons and all manner of big and small game out yonder and he will come home and marry some good sweet girl who will love you only just a little less than i do and he will be the last grand example of the old-fashioned country squire a race fast dying out and he will be as much respected as if the power of the norman botterell still ruled in the land and he had the right of dealing out high-handed justice and immuring his fellow-creatures in a dungeon under his drawing-room i would rather we would not talk about him 
answered the widow gloomily you turn everything into a joke you forget that in my uncertainty about his fate every thought of him is fraught with pain bell hung her head and the meal ended in silence after luncheon came dressing and then the drive to twickenham with major bree in attendance christabel told him of her success as they drove through the park to kensington i have the pleasure to invite you to a seat in my box at the kaleidoscope this evening she said what box a box which jessie and i secured this morning before you had finished your breakfast a box for this evening for this evening i wonder you care to go to a theatre without hamley it is very cruel of you to say that exclaimed christabel her eyes brightening with girlish tears which her pride checked before they could fall you ought to know that i am wretched without him and that i want to lose the sense of my misery in dreamland the theatre is for me what opium was for coleridge and de quincey i understand said major bree you are not merry but you do beguile the thing you are by seeming otherwise you will go with us of course if mrs tregonell does not object i shall be very grateful to you for taking care of them answered the dowager languidly as she leaned back in her carriage a fine example of handsome middle age gracious elegant bearing every mark of good birth yet with a worn look as of one for whom fading beauty and decline of strength would come too swiftly i know i shall be tired to death when we get back to town i don't think london society suits you so well as the monotony of mount royal said major bree no but i am glad christabel has had her first season people have been extremely kind i never thought we should have so many invitations you did not know that beauty is the ace of trumps in the game of society the garden party was as other parties of the same genus strawberry ices and iced coffee in a tent under a spreading spanish chestnut music and recitations in a drawing-room with many windows looking upon the bright swift river and the picturesque roofs of old richmond just that one little picturesque group of bridge and old tiled gables which still remains fine gowns fine talk a dash of the aesthetic element strange colours strange forms and fashions pretty girls in grandmother bonnets elderly women in limp ophelia gowns with tumbled frills and lank hair christabel and the major walked about the pretty garden and criticised all the eccentricities she glad to keep aloof from her many admirers safe under the wing of a familiar friend five o'clock she said that makes twenty-four hours do you think he will be back to-morrow he might i ask whom you mean by that pronoun angus his telegram this morning said that his aunt was really ill not in any danger but still quite an invalid and that he would be obliged to stay a little longer than he had hoped might be needful in order to cheer her do you think he will be able to come back to-morrow hardly i fear twenty-four hours would be a very short time for the cheering process i think you ought to allow him a week did you answer his telegram why of course i told him how miserable i was without him but that he must do whatever was right and kind for his aunt i wrote him a long letter before luncheon to the same effect but oh i hope the dear old lady will get well very quickly if usquebaugh can mend her no doubt the recovery will be rapid answered the major laughing i dare say that it is why you are so anxious for hamley's return you think if he stays in the north he may become a confirmed toddy drinker by the by when his return is so uncertain 
do you think it is quite safe for you to go to the theatre to-night he might come to bolton row during your absence that is hardly possible said christabel but even if such a thing should occur he would come and join us at the kaleidoscope this was the major's last feeble and futile effort to prevent a wilful woman having her own way they rejoined mrs tregonell and went back to their carriage almost immediately where in bolton row in time for a seven o'clock dinner and were seated in the box at the kaleidoscope a few minutes after eight the kaleidoscope was one of the new theatres which had been added to the attractions of london during the last twenty years it was a small house and of exceeding elegance the inspiration of the architect thereof seemingly derived rather from the bonbonnières of sirodin and boissier than from the severer exemplars of high art somebody said it was a theatre which looked as if it ought to be filled with glacé chestnuts or crystallized violets rather than with substantial flesh and blood the draperies thereof were of the palest dove-coloured poplin and cream-white satin the fauteuils were upholstered in velvet of the same dove colour with a monogram in dead gold the pilasters and mouldings were of the slenderest and most delicate order no heavy masses of gold or colour all airy light graceful the sweeping curve of the auditorium was in itself a thing of beauty every fold of the voluminous dove-coloured curtain lined with crimson satin which flashed among the dove-tints here and there like a gleam of vivid colour in the breast of a tropical bird was a study the front of the house was lighted with old-fashioned wax candles a recurrence to obsolete fashion which reminded the few survivors of the d'orsay period of her majesty's in the splendid days of pasta and malibran and which delighted the court and livery of the tallow chandler's company what a lovely theatre cried christabel looking round the house which was crowded with a brilliant audience and how cruel of you not to bring us here it is the prettiest theatre we have seen yet yes it is a nice little place said the major feebly but you see they've been playing the same piece all the season no variety what did that matter when we had not seen the piece besides a young man i danced with told me he had been to see it fifteen times that young man was an ass grumbled the major well i can't help thinking so too assented christabel and then the overture began a dreamy classical compound made up of reminiscences of mozart beethoven and weber a melodious patchwork dignified by scientific orchestration christabel listened dreamily to the dreamy music thinking of angus all the while wondering what he was doing in the far-away scottish land which she knew only from sir walter's novels the dove-coloured curtains were drawn apart to a strain of plaintive sweetness and the play half poem half satire began the scene was a palace garden in some unsuspected isle in far-off seas the personages were psyche her sisters and the jealous goddess whose rest had been disturbed by rumours of an earthly beauty which surpassed her own divine charms and who approached the palace disguised as a crone dealing in philters and simples ribbons and perfumes a kind of female autolycus first came a dialogue between venus and the elder sisters handsome women both but of a coarse type of beauty looking too large for the frame in which they appeared christabel and jessie enjoyed the smartness of the dialogue which sparkled with aristophanian hits at the follies of the hour and yet had a poetical grace which seemed the very favour of the old greek world at last after the interest of the fable had fairly begun there rose the faint melodious breathings of a strange music within the palace 
the quaint and primitive harmonies of a three-stringed lyre and psyche came slowly down the marble steps a slender gracious figure in classic drapery canova's statue incarnate very pretty face muttered the major looking at her through his opera-glass but no figure the slim willowy form delicately and lightly moulded as a young fawn's was assuredly of a type widely different from the two young women of the fleshy school who represented psyche's jealous sisters in their case there seemed just enough mind to keep those sleek well-favoured bodies in motion in stella mayne the soul or at any rate an ethereal essence a vivid beauty of expression an electric brightness which passes for the soul so predominated over the sensual that it would have scarcely surprised one if this fragile butterfly creature had verily spread a pair of filmy wings and floated away into space the dark liquid eyes the small chiselled features exquisitely greek were in most perfect harmony with the character amongst the substantial sensuous forms of her companions this psyche moved like a being from the spirit world oh cried christabel almost with a gasp how perfectly lovely yes she's very pretty isn't she muttered the major tugging at his grey moustache and glaring at the unconscious psyche from his lurking place at the back of the box pretty is not the word she is the realization of a poem jessie bridgman said nothing she had looked straight from psyche to the major as he grunted out his acquiescence and the troubled expression of his face troubled her it was plain to her all in a moment that his objection to the kaleidoscope theatre was really an objection to psyche yet what harm could that lovely being on the stage even were she the worst and vilest of her sex do to any one so remote from her orbit as christabel courtenay the play went on psyche spoke her graceful lines with a perfect intonation nature had in this case not been guilty of cruel inconsistency the actress's voice was as sweet as her face every movement was harmonious every look lovely she was not a startling actress nor was there any need of great acting in the part that had been written for her she was psyche the loved the loving pursued by jealousy persecuted by woman's unwomanly hatred afflicted despairing yet loving always beautiful in every phase of her gentle life do you like the play asked the major grimly when the curtain had fallen on the first act i never enjoyed anything so much it is so different from all other plays we have seen said christabel and psyche miss stella mayne is she not is the loveliest creature i ever saw in my life you must allow a wide margin for stage make-up paint and powder and darkened lashes grumbled the major but i have been studying her face through my glass it is hardly at all made up just compare her with the faces of the two sisters which are like china plates badly fired jessie what are you dreaming about you haven't a particle of enthusiasm why don't you say something i don't want to be an echo said miss bridgman curtly i could only repeat what you are saying i can't be original enough to say that miss mayne is ugly she is simply the loveliest creature we have seen on the stage or off it exclaimed christabel who was too rustic to want to know who miss mayne was and where the manager had discovered such a pearl as a london playgoer might have done hark said jessie there's a knock at the door christabel's heart began to beat violently could it be angus no it was more likely to be some officious person offering ices it was neither but a young man of the languid elegant type 
one of christabel's devoted admirers the very youth who had told her of his having seen cupid and psyche fifteen times why this makes the sixteenth time she said smiling at him as they shook hands i think it is nearer the twentieth he replied it is quite the jolliest piece in london don't you agree with me i think it is remarkably jolly answered christabel laughing what odd words you have in london for the expression of your ideas and so few of them a kind of shorthand said the major arbitrary characters jolly means anything you like awful means anything you like that kind of language gives the widest scope for the exercise of the imagination how is mrs tregonell asked the youth not being given to the discussion of abstract questions frivolous or solemn he had a mind which could only grasp life in the concrete an intellect that required to deal with actualities people coats hats boots dinner park hack just as little children require actual counters to calculate with he subsided into a chair behind miss courtenay and the box being a large one remained there for the rest of the play to the despair of a companion youth in the stalls who looked up ever and anon vacuous and wondering and who resembled his friend as closely as a well-matched carriage horse resembles his fellow grooming and action precisely similar what brilliant diamonds said christabel noticing a collet necklace which psyche wore in the second act and which was a good deal out of harmony with her greek drapery not by any means resembling those simple golden ornaments which patient dr schliemann and his wife dug out of the hill at his sarlik but of course they are only stage jewels continued christabel yet they sparkle as brilliantly as diamonds of the first water very odd but so they do muttered young fitzpelham behind her shoulder and then sotto voce to the major he said that's the worst of giving these women jewels they will wear them and that emerald butterfly on her shoulder pursued christabel one would suppose it were real a real butterfly no real emeralds it belonged to the empress of the french and was sold for three hundred and eighty guineas at christie's said fitzpelham whereupon major bree's substantial boot came down heavily on the youth's queen anne shoe at least the empress has one like it stammered fitzpelham saying to himself in his own vernacular that he had hoofed it how do you like stella Mayne? he asked by and by when the act was over i was charmed with her she is the sweetest actress i ever saw not the greatest there are two or three who far surpass her in genius but there is a sweetness a fascination i don't wonder she is the rage i only wonder major brie could have deprived me of the pleasure of seeing her all this time you could stand the piece a second time couldn't you certainly or a third time it is so poetical it carries one into a new world pretty foot and ankle hasn't she murmured fitzpelham to which frivolous comment miss courtenay made no reply her soul was wrapped in the scene before her the mystic wood whither psyche had now wandered with her divine lover the darkness of a summer night in the greek archipelago fireflies flitting athward ilex and olive bushes a glimpse of the distant starlit sea here goaded by her jealous sisters to a fatal curiosity psyche stole with her lamp to the couch of her sleeping lover gazing spellbound upon that godlike countenance represented in actual flesh by a chubby round face and round brown eyes and in her glad surprise letting fall a drop of oil from her lamp on cupid's winged shoulder whereon the god leaves her wounded by her want of faith 
had he not told her they must meet only in the darkness and that she must never seek to know his name so ends the second act of the fairy drama in the third poor psyche is in ignoble bondage a slave to venus in the goddess's palace at cythera a fashionable fine lady venus who leads her gentle handmaid in a sorry life till the god of love comes to her rescue and here in the tiring chamber of the goddess the playwright makes sport of all the arts by which modern beauty is manufactured here poor psyche tearful despairing has to toil at the creation of the queen of beauty whose charms of face and figure are discovered to be all falsehood from the topmost curl of her toupee to the arched instep under her jewelled buskin throughout this scene psyche alternates between smiles and tears and then at the last cupid appears claims his mistress defies his mother and the happy lovers linked in each other's arms float skyward on a shaft of limelight and so the graceful mythic drama ends fanciful from the first line to the last gay and lightly touched as burlesque yet with an element of poetry which burlesque for the most part lacks christabel's interest had been maintained throughout the performance how extraordinarily silent you have been all the evening jessie she said as they were putting on their cloaks surely you like the play i like it pretty well it is rather thin i think but then perhaps that is because i have twelfth night still in my memory as we heard mr brandram recite it last week at willis's rooms nobody expects modern comedy to be as good as shakespeare retorted christabel you might as well find fault with the electric light for not being quite equal to the moon don't you admire that exquisite creature which of them asked jessie stolidly buttoning her cloak which of them oh jessie you have generally such good taste why miss mayne of course it is almost painful to look at the others they are such common earthy creatures compared with her i have no doubt she is very wonderful and she is the fashion which goes for a great deal answered miss bridgman but never a word in praise of stella mayne could christabel extort from her she who educated by shepherd's bush and poverty was much more advanced in knowledge of evil than the maiden from beyond tamar suspected that some sinister influence was to be feared in stella mayne why else had the major so doggedly opposed their visit to this particular theatre why else did he look so glum when stella mayne was spoken about End of chapter seven